Three, two, one. We're live. Welcome to the locker room uh, at Crossroads. I'm Trig. I'm here with uh, Stephanie Tesla, Brian Medallia, and Rod Van Salkema. This is the locker room where we break down sermon stories and scripture to prepare Crossroads for the race of our faith. I'm so excited today to be talking about this idea of community, which is our second of three things that we say we value as an outflow of our mission and vision at Crossroads. Our vision is to be the kingdom of God, to live it out, to have it break into our lives, break out of our lives, into the world, and our mission is to be a biblical community where Jesus Christ transforms lives, renews the city, and the nations, and community is a huge part about this. Now, right before we started recording, I was talking to Steph and Brian, and Rod just walked in, and we were talking about how significant um, this portion of our values is, and I'd love to just get first an idea of who you two are. Uh, hopefully, you guys have had a steady dose of Rod, and you know a little bit about him, so I want to focus more on Steph and Brian, but Brian, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing here, how'd you get to Crossroads, and uh, what you're excited about specifically regarding community. Yeah. Let's go, Brian. All right. <laughs> the coach, Rod. So, uh, Brian Medallia, I'm the community life pastor. I've been here over five years. And uh, the way that I got here is, a, to me, it's a great story. Um, Rod and I had pastored together. He was a young adult pastor, and I was college pastor at a church. And basically, we had made contact about 10 years. And then in a church in the south side of Chicago, the pastor said, hey, it's great to see Brian Medallia and other people here. And then Rod, with the entire staff, had, were doing their staff retreat there. So we connected, and Rod told me, there's this position, will you consider it? Community life pastor, which I said, send me something. And two months later, was offered the role, and then three months later, my wife, Kimberly, and I moved here. And um, Brian, you know what it's goes God's back providence. even before that? You and I were gonna plant a church in Grand Rapids, <laughs> uh, really, yeah. bef before Crossroads even started. We made the visit here. I can look out the window and see the days in where we uh, <laughs> were lodged at night, right. scouting this place days out. Days in, really? Yes. So we, yeah, it was uh, large. Yeah, fall of '03, we came out. Yeah, uh, Rod and Libby and my yeah. wife Kimberly and I, and uh, yeah, you know, it was exciting. As Rod and Libby went off to plant the church in '04, and then uh, I served 15 years at Wheaton College as director of what's called the Office of Christian Outreach, and it's all about students being involved in ministry and missions and doing that in community. We didn't send any students out alone. So that was really important. Uh, as far as being uh, a follower of Jesus, uh, senior year of high school, young life just caught hold of me. And specifically, the conversations I had with a, a senior at Geneva College, a Christian college in Beaver Falls, PA, who he was just asking me questions about who are you where are you going? Bottom line, at a camp, I became a follower of Christ, and probably two, three years later, felt a calling to be a pastor. So, Praise 30 God. years college ministry, just love it. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, you've been deeply uh, entrenched in providing a space for community and pushing that into students. I remember we didn't even know each other when I was at Wheaton, but you were there, and I was there, and you knew a lot of the same people that I knew. Steph, it's 
so great to be able to sit down and talk with you. Just tell our people who don't have the privilege of knowing you and the ministry that you oversee at our church, what you're about, what you're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I find myself like contemplating the fact that I didn't come through the ministry avenue. Like I was a mom and a businesswoman. And so I don't have all of these years of experience in the ministry world, but I definitely have the years of experience of truly being in community, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly with community. And my husband and I went through a major desert season in our Mm. marriage. And at that time, the church community that we were involved in just wasn't what we needed to get us to the point of true healing. And so we were on this search for where God wanted to plant us. And so we walked into Crossroads for the first time way back in 2010, and just Mark and I like sobbed every single Sunday. I don't think we've ever experienced a community like Crossroads. And it was at that time that God put a fire in me um, for ministry um, in a sense of wanting to create a community where brokenness was accepted and brokenness was worked through. And uh, God had us in a holding pattern for several years before then I was called to be on staff. Um, So I've been here since 2014. And uh, that was after we went to Israel with Rod and Lib and um, were able to share a little bit of our marriage story. And that is where I've now been called to be in a position here to help marriages, to help community and Crossroads, I just think has a very unique community. I'm just curious. I'd like to ask you, Steph, more specifics about that, if, if that's okay. Yeah, like, absolutely. In terms of like, what the community was lacking that caused you to leave it and then the specifics of crossroads that maybe drew you guys in yeah i mean it felt to me that the community we were involved in was lacking the ability to go to the hard places to sit in the uncomfortableness of brokenness Mm. Um, again, I don't, I don't fault. I don't point fingers. Um, we all have our stories that we're trying to work through and what Mark and I were going through could have been triggering to a lot of those people. Um, and God called us out. Like, I don't, I don't fault them. I, Mm -hmm. we knew that God had us needing to be planted in another environment. And I think Crossroads, one of the first sermons that we heard talked about the fact that God sometimes allows the desert, allows the brokenness. And we had literally never heard that. It was always as if the, the hard stuff like that must be from the enemy, which yes, but God uses it. And I think that was a message that Mark and I needed to hear. I love it. Yeah. Um, so we have a biblical mandate in Galatians to carry each other's burdens. And actually the language is that in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. And uh, this Sunday, Rod preached and he talked about how, uh, what, 52 one another's? Is that right? Uh, 52 one another's in the New Testament. 52 one another's. One per week. One per week of the year. So that would be a sermon series. it, It would be a sermon series. And I just think that that's incredibly significant 
Um, because in a world that is filled with this idea that the individual is the most important, um, yeah, yeah, is is paramount. Uh, the Bible actually speaks in communal language more than it speaks in individual language, specifically uh, in those imperatives. So can we just talk a little bit about the biblical vision for community, kind of bouncing off of what Rod preached on this Sunday, starting, you know, back obviously in the garden, God creates, starts creating a community with Adam and Eve who are able to procreate and then create a family that then God chooses one man who then becomes another family that becomes a nation that this, this whole kingdom of God breaking into the world has always been done through a community of people. Um, and why is biblical community in a world that is searching for community different? So let me give you an example. I work out at a gym where a lot of people go there for a sense of community and belonging. I know a lot of people in our neighborhood are in book clubs that are secular book clubs, and they go to those book clubs because they're desperate for community. Um, My wife was at the library the other day with her kids, uh, with our kids, (laughs) and uh, um, there is like a mom's club that gets together every Tuesday for a reading hour, and then they spend time in community and they're looking for community. So there's other places to go for community. Why do we go to the church for community instead? What, what's the differentiator? I would say first and foremost, <coughs> the difference between biblical community and community, first of all, is that the Trinity, God is a communal God. I mean, it is about him first and foremost. I think for us as followers, followers of Christ. Um, it is that idea of all these one another speak of us continuing to be disciples that make other disciples. So that discipleship is so crucial. And that growing in Christ, that mission of us being uh, transformed by Christ, that happens in community. That is not first and foremost something that you do alone. And it's not just for you, it's for the others in that community too. Yeah, I think biblical community is all about self-sacrifice. Worldly community is about what can I get out of it for Mm. myself. And I think that um, unbiblical community or just worldly community is where I have to put on my mask. I have to put on my false self. And biblical community is actually where we're called to be extremely vulnerable and show the more difficult sides of ourself in order for those to be refined. And so that's what I see as the differentiation between those two communities. And I, I think we do need those other spaces and places. Of course. Um, but biblical community is going to be where you do see the good, the bad, the ugly, the vulnerable. Um, I think it's in biblical community that we work through a lot of our wounding that happened in our childhood or in some of those formative years. Um, because those are the moments where we will get re-triggered in true community and we have to work through it with people that uh, we trust are going to hold hold us accountable uh, to the healing that needs to happen. Yeah, I think about one of my favorite quotes from uh, Tim Keller, you know, who he says to be known but not loved is our greatest fear, right? To be loved but not known is just superficial. I'm paraphrasing it, right? But to be fully known and fully loved is a lot like being loved by God. It 
liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of self-righteousness and it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. It's a paraphrase, but um, I think this idea of being known, fully known and fully loved is actually the goal. Obviously, the only person that can truly do this 100% is God. But beyond that, we can start to get pretty dang close. Would you agree? In biblical community. Because, to your point, Stephanie, we're free to not be perfect. We're free to not have it all together. And we know, (laughs) theologically even, that our brothers and sisters that are in community with us aren't perfect either. So even if they do put the mask up, we can know, well, they're not perfect. And the only reason that they're putting that mask up is maybe because they feel like they have to portray this false self for a different reason. So, uh, I'm, I'm always, I was, I remember, I'll give you a perfect example from my own life. Like (laughs) I came to know the Lord when I was, uh, right after my freshman year of college and my younger brother was the one that led me to the Lord. And, uh, he was in high school and I had no church experience. So like, I, I, I didn't really know what it meant to be in a biblical community. So I would drive an hour uh, home to Minneapolis from the college that I was at called St. Olaf in Northfield, Minnesota, every single Wednesday. And I would sit in the back of the youth group just to listen to the messages that the youth pastors preached. But more than that, the reason that I, I went there was because those high school students like brought me in that loved Jesus like I was their own. And it was an I don't want to use the word intoxicating, but you know what I mean when I say that. Like it was nothing... It was like nothing that I had ever experienced. And I had been on teams my whole life. Um, So I know that that's an anecdote. But for those of you that are listening, I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. That when you experience that biblical community for the first time, uh, where you are truly known and they see you for who you are, your sin is laid bare, and you are still love, it's the most liberating thing in the world. Mm -hmm. So the question I have is, are, are we different? Are our communities that are birthed out of crossroads and expression of crossroads, you know, are we different? I think we know that we're supposed to be different. I think we know uh, why we're supposed to be different. But the question I have is, are we really different? Um, I think we have to fight to be different. I think that our default is to have our communities look like a worldly community. And I think in the initial formation of those communities that is part of the evolution i think when you start a house church or a small group initially it's going to feel a little more superficial Mm -hmm. until you get to the point where it's safe and secure enough for you to be open and vulnerable Um, but the true test of it is when there is conflict in those house churches or when there is brokenness and then how do people react to that? And I think that's a defining moment for a community if it's going to be a biblical community or yeah. not. I, I think one other way <clears throat> is um, with community, when you have uh, individuals that are hurting, they're in need, they're in need of care, uh, it is, it is uh, certainly as pastoral staff, that's something that we want to lean into with people. But I think when you see people in a house church, when people are in trouble, they come alongside them. They're willing to sacrifice and say, you are my brother or my sister in Christ, and I want to come alongside you during this difficult time. I had that when I had my car accident. The house church just came 
to us and helped meet so many needs for Kimberly and I. And that was such a hard time. And it was, it was beautiful. Beautiful when you, you see that, um, that family. And I think, though, we do have to fight. Uh, the tendency is, you know, to be everything's fine, I'm fine, you're fine, look at the life I'm living, I'm growing in Christ. It's in those smaller groups that you do. You take off the mask and you also say, this is who I am. Confess your sins one to another. That's not natural. But when you can do that, still be accepted and also still be challenged to say, yes, that is sin. Yeah. Repent and grow in Christ. Yeah. And I think that vulnerability begets vulnerability. So if we can be courageous enough to confess our sins or to take the mask off and show reality, we're then positioning everybody else in that community to do the same. It is attractive. I know you use the word intoxicating, but <laughs> it is probably the wrong it word. It is our heart's desire. We are drawn to authentic community. Yeah. It is what we want. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I like this word biblical community, right? But there's even some misconceptions about the word biblical or the words biblical community, right? Because when I think of the words on the surface, and this is my own sin biblical community go oh, great I can just sit around the table and study the word and as long as the Bible is at the center of my table that's biblical community um, but I remember a pastor once telling me that you know you might think that you're an orthodox church but you're not an orthodox you you don't actually you're not orthodox unless you're orthoprax unless you're orthopracticing what you ortho believe <laughs> right so in other words a biblical community isn't just saying that you're centered on reading the word or studying the word it's that you're actually living it's it's about being the word it's living out it's walking as jesus walked it's and that, that yada experience as rod talks about yada and that requires a whole lot more courage to actually live biblically than it is just to sit around and watch a Bible study video, which are great, and then never actually have to carry one another's burdens, not have to be there when someone is going through a difficult time, not have to challenge someone because you see sin in their lives. Those things are the difficult things. That's what being a biblical community is about. But I think we shortchange it so often, or we've become comfortable in the Western church by just saying, oh, well, if I'm in a Bible study, therefore I'm in biblical community. Am I getting that right or am I wrong in challenging that worldview of biblical community? I, so I want to just share Glory and Aaron Goodrich, Glory's on staff here. Um, Aaron is a counselor. They were just at a conference and she was talking about um, that in our right brain is that head knowledge, that logical, rational self, left brain is the experiential. And what she learned in this conference was that left brain always trumps right brain. So we can have all of the knowledge of community, but that's really not going to change us. It is our ability to experience true community that is going to change us. And so when I think of biblical community, it is the experience of being with other Christians and holding our feet to the fire, the good, the bad, all of it that is truly going to change us, not just the head knowledge of that community. And it is, um, <clears throat> are we gonna, as a church, lean into biblical community? Uh, it sounds simple, but you have to take the time to do that. You have to take the energy, you have to take other things off the plate. And I think that's one of the most difficult aspects of living in the world or as a Christian, 
you have to make time for it. And again, that's hard, but it's essential. Yeah, I've uh, been in ministry now for 30 years. And I think what you're talking about right now, Brian, I think what are the challenges that keep people from community? Um, for some reason, I have three words in my mind that just literally came to my mind. One is comfort. Mm. We like to stay comfortable. Uh, we love convenience. So if, if let's be honest, relationships are inconvenient. They are. Yeah. And I think another thing is that our society is so consumer-based. Um, wow. And we don't realize how much of our relationship is done that way. Or I go to church to consume. This, what, what's this church going to do for me? What's this community going to do for me? What's this small group house church going to do for me? And I think as Christians, we fall into a lot of these same traps, which are the exact opposite of what you talked about earlier, Steph. Like, we have the Christ in us, the hope of glory, um, the fruits of the Spirit. Um, mm. The way that we do relationship ought to be completely different from the world where it's not outside in, it's not driven by appearance or what people think about us. Um, it's inside out where we're just people that can be real. We can even vomit the stuff that we need to like put on the table with other people. So I don't know. I feel like these barriers still exist at Crossroads. I feel like we're fighting through them. I think we're also in a context in West Michigan that has a very uh, religious thing to it that also plays into this um but how do you guys see it going um as you live in this world of trying to work out community and work people into community at crossroads yeah i think um i mean there's several opportunities we can talk a little later about how people can get into uh community and those opportunities um one of the things people need to know and we've all experienced it, it it is difficult to be in biblical community these are not necessarily right away they're my best friends this is so easy uh we're brothers and sisters in christ we're families we're broken just that reality of know what you're getting into this is what god has for you but it is going to be difficult you are going to have to contribute and others are going to con contribute into your life um so i mean in three c's you're giving all of them fight against community. And mm. it's, uh, I've been spending time this past summer meeting with house church leaders, these small group leaders, and so many of them are going well. They're just talking about we're healthy. But every once in a while, I'll hear from a house church leader, you know, this, this couple or this individual, they're not coming. I don't know where they're at. And immediately I'm like, well, have you contacted them? Have you sat down for a <laughs> cup of coffee and talked to them? And it's like, yeah, that maybe I should do that. And I'm like, exactly as a shepherd, as a leader, this is something. I mean, is there a hurt? Is something going on in their lives that you don't know about? So you have to pursue that person. And, and in that way, I, I think we these communities can be can be healthy. But it takes pursuit of one another. Yeah, I think back to. Uh, when Mark and I changed churches, I can look back and say that the community that we were involved in, the, the small group we were involved in at our last church, and we're still friends with some of those, um, I can say that Mark and I were approaching things probably from that consumer mind base, kind of like what is in this community for us. And 
you know, we have this internal desire to be with people like us. And I think in our immaturity, that was something, you know, Mark wanted to be buddies with guys that speak football language, that watch the football games so we can talk football, you know, that consumer based. And I wanted girls that had the same interests and hobbies. Mm. And when we came to Crossroads, we got involved. Our very first house church was a little multi-generational. And I don't think any of the guys were football guys. And Mark and I's experience in that house church was eye-opening that the love of Christ is enough to connect people. But if we don't get out of the uncomfortable, if we don't like look at the fact that we do have a consumer-based default, we're never going to experience the fact that there's something beautiful in being in relationship with people that are different than us, whether that's age different, interest different. Um, so yes, I agree. Those three C's are things we have to fight for and I fight against. And I remember first coming, um, you know, the idea of here are people, and this is the kind of house church they want. You need to match them with a house church. And I'm like, okay. But when it was all said and done, I, I felt like it was dating. Like I was trying to say, I'm going to get you in the perfect place. <laughs> totally. And it Match was overwhelming. Make- Matchmaking. Yeah. <laughs> overwhelming as opposed to, you know what? You come open hands that we really trust God is putting this group together. And again, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be with people that you don't know, not like you. Beautiful. Beautiful yeah. to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll add a word. Impatient. That's my heart yeah. to a T. <laughs> the patience that is required to develop that community um, is requ- it requires the spirit of God in your life because it's like you said, it's it's totally unnatural to even want to be in community. And that doesn't mean like <laughs> we might be sounding drab right now. Biblical community is amazing and you can find tremendous friends. Uh, but I just think that the temptation, so let me put it in this way. I've never met someone that wants to shop churches. And this is an indictment on my own soul who is rooted in biblical community. Generally speaking, when we get this consumer mindset and then we're looking around from church to church to church or we want to criticize something small it's because we're not actually rooted in community. So it's very easy for us to just abandon ship, right? But I've never met someone, I've never met a single person that's rooted in biblical community that doesn't leave a church unless it's something extremely significant that has happened to them, that has wounded them in a certain way. But generally, those people that are in biblical community, they can get through the imperfections that every single church are, are going to have. And... Uh, and then they, when you, when you get through that, you know, when I, I know a counselor, that I'm going to use marital terms, but a counselor once told me that uh, there's a stage in every marriage called the death of the dream that every marriage has to go through where like this dream that you've created, this narrative in your head of this person fulfilling all of your needs and binding up all of your wounds, that dream needs to go die so that on yes. the other side of the death of that dream, you can go and flourish. I think that that needs to be true of biblical community too and just our association with the body of Christ which is a broken and 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 wounded and dirty group of people that are loved by Jesus. We need a almost the death of the dream for the church. I know that that might sound backwards, but this idealism that can so often be the reason that we don't engage in community because we're not willing 
for it to not meet our consumeristic expectations where if I buy a certain tool at Home Depot and I'm not pleased with it, I can just go to Lowe's and get a better one, you know, but that's not an option when it comes to biblical community. So, yeah, I think that's true. I think it's that our expectations are so formed by the world we live in. There's you, you have to fight against it. So we are going to be a consumer based. We're going to have a consumer based mindset when we're looking for community. I think we just have to let these ideas play themselves out. So everything, if you live your life consumer based, where's that going to take your life? If you live your life based on comfort, if you live your life based on convenience, like in the long run, what are you going to get from that? What kind of person are you going to be? Uh, the Bible over and over again teaches that the best things actually come out of places of discomfort, mm. things that are very inconvenient. Um, things that are not about me. And so that's why I think our society today, driven by these things, is so lonely, isolated, empty, bankrupt. And then they get to a spot where they actually need people to be involved in their life, but yet they haven't made any kind of investments in mm -hmm. community, in relationship. Why? Because all of that is inconvenient. It makes them uncomfortable. Uh, they have to give up too much. And yet, this is where the most meaningful things are experienced in life. And I remember years ago, uh, we had a youth pastor here, Derek Tagus, and he's actually one of my great friends. Uh, he passed away tragically. And I watched our church come around his wife, Charity, um, and their two her two daughters. And it was beautiful and it wasn't so much because our church was so good even though there's so much goodness in our church but it was because Derek and Charity just poured themselves into our church and gave themselves to so many people that when their time of need came uh, there was just so many people just couldn't wait to just love on them and serve them and they weren't doing that it doesn't sound like I didn't know Derek but I wish I would have based off of what I've heard about him. But he wasn't doing that. They weren't doing that for that time when they would need those people back. No, they were just living a gospel life, you know, a life of cruciformity, you know. Our life is to be Jesus Christ crucified, you know, not your life for me, but my life for you. So when we live that, and we live that in our marriages, that's what we're called as Christians to live as husband and wives, we're called to live that in our families. As family members, we're also called to live that amongst each other, which is why you get the 52 one another's of Scripture, because they all call us to some flavor or form of living out Christ crucified. So how do we grow in this? Jesus. <laughs> we need him. Yeah. This is why we're Church of the Desperate Ones. We're desperate for Jesus. We also need each other uh, because we experience Jesus through each other. The word that you brought up earlier, Steph, yada. We, we experience Jesus. Uh, we experience it in our marriages, right? We experience it in our families. Uh, we experience it in community. So I want to go somewhere with this conversation uh, that has a biblical theme that maybe you can speak to, Rod, a little bit, and then we can kind of dive into the theological and practical implications of it. One of the things that we say about 
what we want community to be about at Crossroads is table fellowship and reclaiming the table, right? I, I know that in, as, as Americans, right, in the age of fast food and everything's hurried, like we've lost the value of the table. What is the significance of the table, biblically speaking? And then what are the theological and practical applications for the way that we do community? And maybe this could just serve as an encouragement to our people to maybe even just start with the table. So I just, I picture our house church and our house church doesn't always have table fellowship in the sense of eating a meal, but let's just think of that analogy. If I have my house church coming over for a meal, there is an extreme intentionality that needs to happen. We need to think through what the menu is going to be. We've got to go grocery shopping. We need to prepare the meal. We need to create the environment for that to happen. And just think of all the intentionality that needs to go into the formation of a community. It is exposed in just getting a meal prepared. But then there's the element of when you're sitting around a table having a meal, the style of conversation, the intimacy that happens when you're eating a meal with somebody um, has such biblical such a biblical picture to that too. And so when I hear table fellowship, I think of those two things, the intentionality that needs to happen in order for a meal to be prepared, but then the environment that that creates um, for a community to really break down and be vulnerable with one another. One of the, uh, one of the ways that we invite everyone at Crossroads to be part of a table fellowship is something called a family meal. And my wife, Kimberly, and I have uh, hosted quite a few, and one of the things we love is, is it is about hospitality, which is not a shallow world or word. Uh, uh, biblical hospitality, again, that is, first of all, opening your home up. So we're so excited. Eight to ten people are going to come for a meal. People come. They don't know each other. They're sitting around, so we hear some of their story. What's one thing God's doing? We're eating, and then... My wife, Kimberly, is just great at this. She's, she just uh, does ask the question, you know, what, what is one thing that, is, that God is doing in your life? And in that short period of time where people are intentional, uh, we've seen people just share the brokenness that they have, the, the, uh, the weaknesses they have, the joys they have. And even in that short period of time, they can experience community and there's just something so special about that it's simple but it's a time commitment it's coming to my home I welcome you and then as people go from that just to start some of those relationships so yeah I mean I would say that's probably where our jobs on staff at Crossroads come in like we can't do the work but we can provide opportunities to start the, the ball rolling down the field of community, right? Like that's as far as we can take it. It's not, a, it's not that it's about us, but our job to serve the church is to provide those opportunities that is step one, you might call it, or <laughs> first base, right? But then you got to, then you got to run the bases, you know, you got to keep going. So what would you say to somebody that's maybe teetering right now on considering there, maybe they're afraid of jumping into the waters that is, community, um, how would you encourage that person? I mean, I said on Sunday, 
I think we need each other almost as much as we need Jesus. And that's just the way God made us. He made us for himself, but he also made us for each other. And so a person cannot possibly grow in their walk with Christ if they are not in community or they're in a place, like you said earlier, where they're known to the bottom of their soul and they're loved to the skies by the people around them. That's a game changer. Totally. And if I may put some scripture to what Rod just said, First Peter 4, 8 through 11, above all, love each other deeply because love covers up a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. The church needs you. That's my answer. We, I need you. We need you. Um, and if you're here just participating on Sunday mornings, help me. You know, <laughs> hear this from me. I need you, you know, and that, that it's a general statement. Obviously, we may never be personally in community together here at Crossroads, but your brother or sister next to you, they need you. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Steph. You. Yeah, I think that it takes a huge level of bravery for some people to be involved in community. And so my encouragement would be that it is a true testament to your trust in the Lord and your trust in what his word has to say that you can be courageous enough to step into community when it's uncomfortable. Love it. I think um, <clears throat> Rod and I, I know we've had a number of conversations, even coming into my role and thinking about it. You know, some churches are, it, it's about the gathering. It's about the worship and small group community. That's, that's an add on. That's like dessert. And it can go the other way. Small group is really where it is. And we do this church all together and that's good. The fact that both of them are crucial to community, uh, that worshiping community in large and that smaller community. Um, that's the first thing. And then the third, there are opportunities for that. I agree with Stephanie completely. You're going to have to put yourself out there. But again, those family meals, you sign up, you don't know who's coming, but everyone's in the same, same shoes. And God does amazing things. We have something called short circles, which are five weeks of meeting as a small group, table fellowship, time in the word and prayer. And that's a way to say, look, it, it, if you can't, be in a, a house church, which is a longer small group, here's an opportunity, again, for you to come with other brothers and sisters in Christ and, and gather and grow in Christ. And then for the house church, um, some of them have just naturally come about with friendships and relationships. Many of them, people come uh, uh, to a meeting, a house church orientation, and for two weeks we tell them this is what biblical community is. Know the why before the what. And then we're going to put you together in these house churches. And you need to be open to saying, God, I will give this a chance. I'm putting myself out there. But it is worth it once you experience that. And like you said, Drake, we need each other. I mean, that, that's the idea. God has created it. We need him. We need each other. Yeah, it requires definitely a measure of faith and trust. Right. 
that's vulnerability. There is no vulnerability without a measure of trust, right? And I think that idea of trust is something that, again, you <laughs> takes time. You have to be patient with it. And so do not hear any of us today saying, hey, just like be vulnerable day one and rip the Band-Aid and have some courage. That's not at all what we're saying. But as people that have experienced the beauty and honestly the pain, like <laughs> just because you commit to biblical community doesn't mean that you you won't be hurt in some ways. Like let's just be real. Uh, in the same way that some of the closest people in your life currently who may not be in biblical community with you have hurt you. you you're putting yourself out there to be hurt. I think of the C.S. Lewis quote, and I'm gonna, I don't know this one at all, but it's the, like, wrap your heart up in the coffin. You know what I'm talking about? But then there it will never be hurt, but it'll also die. Do you know what quote I'm talking mm. about? Anyone I don't, know it better? but that sounds good. Does anyone know it better? I do, than I know it. I don't. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully. Round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. That's from C.S. Lewis, Fort Loves. Fantastic. That's a fantastic yeah. quote. I, I wasn't even close. I don't, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Set it up. I don't, <laughs> I don't need safe. That's not what I need from people. I don't need safe. <laughs> safe is just not going to um, be the thing that will lead me to a spot of being changed. I think listening to that quote and just talking about mm. this brings up another C word that I think is a uh, barrier is counterfeit. There are a lot of counterfeit communities out there. You talk about social media. It's counterfeit. Hobbies are counterfeit it can feel like it's filling a void. And even that quote really gets to it. You can take those relationships and put hobbies around them and make things look like you're getting some form of community, but it is actually hardening your heart and it's a consumer-based um, approach to relationships. So I think we have to be very aware of the counterfeits out there. Yeah, over 20 years ago, young Libby, young Rod, marriage falling completely apart. What saved our marriage? Of course, it was Christ, but it was Christ through community. Without community, Libby and I wouldn't be married today. Christian community, people that came around us, and it was not safe. It was not easy. Can you, uh, people, well, go ahead, what? No, I was just going to say, can you, can you, if you're willing to, give us any specifics of... I was a youth pastor at College Church in Wheaton, and, um, you know, it was just a time in our life where we were lost directionless, not hopeless, and yet still staying in the game. And it was people that came around us, wow. you know, and, and there was lots of accountability. Um, they were prying into things in our marriage, in our life. It hurt. It was humiliating, literally, to have some of that stuff laid bare. But if that never happened, um, I wouldn't be a pastor today in the church. And I don't think our marriage would have made it. We just preached through James. 
confess your sins to one another. Mm-hmm. And what's the what's the conclusion that he makes? And you will be healed. You'll be healed. Like, what if we actually took that at face value? What if James means what he's saying there? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. If he's James, if you're legit and you mean what you're saying, wow. Like, I can just do that? Yeah, here's why you can do it, is because when you come into a community of brothers and sisters in Christ, you're not coming into a group of people. Some are good and some are bad. Some are spiritual. Some are Mm. non-spiritual. We've all been bad. (laughs) <laughs> and we all bring bad to the table. Totally. Um, we all have been saved and redeemed by God's grace. So the good people, bad people thing just needs to get out of our minds. Um, we're sinners saved by grace, all of us in some capacity. Totally. Brian, maybe you can speak to this too for those that are entrenched. And I, I know for me, I mean, I was a student at Wheaton and there can be pretense. <laughs> you're, you're, you're among Christians, right? For Christ and his kingdom. I remember transferring in, you know, <laughs> I had the zeal of, of, of a new Christian, but I was so ignorant to the ways that, you know, so quickly we can put our masks back up that all of these people that say they love and believe in Jesus can feel the need to be um, superficial or pharisaical in the way that we walk this thing out. But maybe you could just encourage us with because you've had so much experience with specifically students, but being involved in community type ministry, your whole um, ministry career, we'll call it. Um, Are there any stories that are off the top of your head where you've, you've seen students or even people here at Crossroads just transformed by biblical community? I would start with myself. Uh, 1991, uh, four couples got together to start a small group. Church assigned it. So Medallias, my wife Kimberly and I, the uh, De Leonardis, the Seacos, and the Hootons. So I'm they took Italian. all of the Italians and put us together. Randomly. Randomly, of course. But um, <laughs> for the next four years, we walked together. And I remember when my friend Tony called. And his mother had died overnight. She was 61, had a heart attack. And I, I just stay where you are. I'll be out there. Mm. When Jill, her brother, died in a car accident, 21 years old. And again, we're, we were there. And with Wheaton College students, what I loved was there can be a lot of pretense. You know, talk about the Harvard or the Christian colleges. What I loved with what I was doing is putting these students in situations, in communities where they couldn't make it on their own they couldn't fake it very quick story so i'm in spain visiting students on a missions trip and these two young ladies they're complaining about one another how horrible it is to be in community with them i said okay (laughs) i said meet me for lunch the next day and what i didn't tell them is i had invited both of them to lunch (laughs) so we came to lunch and i I said okay sit across from each other i'm going to have lunch you two say the same thing you told me about each other and figure it out. I know Ow. you can't. If if you if you have a problem, just raise a hand. I'm right here. But that was confess your sins one to another, and I really trust that that 
changed mm. them. I I trust that their their faith in Christ community. And then being here, I remember announcing, it was announced that I was community life pastor. Kimberly and I are moving after 30 years in Chicago and thinking we we don't have community. <laughs> and, and this is the role I played. And right after that announcement, uh, Mark and Julie Augustine just said, hey, we'd love for you to be in our house church. And that was the game changer. We had these couples that were alongside us and have created and continue to create community for us. Like I'd said, in those couples, I mean, I talked about my car accident. They've just come around us and it's been amazing. So I feel there are a lot of, Stephanie can talk to that too, with, with that house church. There just are, are a lot of opportunities like that at Crossroads for that kind of community. Steph, I want to get to you, but before we move off of this point, yeah. let me just say like, <laughs> That's so encouraging for me because you're the community life pastor, but you, you know, you've been here for five years. You've been in community type ministry your whole life. It's still hard to make that transition, even when it's your vocation and re-engage and uh, recommit to a new community. So if you're new here, just like hear that. It's, <laughs> it's not easy, no matter what, no matter where you've been. So Steph, I want to just hear more. Of I your just heart have, on that. Yeah, yeah, I just have a sidebar, a little sidebar thing. Um, as I, we are talking community and me having that role of being a marriage person here, um, I think I just want to acknowledge the fact that community is sometimes challenging for marriages um, because husband and wife may have differing views of what community looks like, differing mm-hmm. comfort levels, uh, differing uh, bandwidth uh, to be in community. And that can really be challenging um, where maybe one is feeling kind of ahead of the other. So just want to encourage couples that if that is the case, um, I know I don't want to talk about stereotypes, but I think oftentimes the female is the one that is truly desiring community and the husband can sometimes be a little behind, just not desiring it as much. And that can turn into a little bit of a power struggle or manipulation. Um, Just want to encourage couples to really seek the Lord um, as that tuning fork. Um, When it comes to desiring community, let the Lord lead where the Lord wants you to go as a married couple and as a family. And don't don't fall into the trap of it being a control move. Um, I've seen it multiple times in marriages. Yeah, that man cave is very calling for a man, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> on Sunday night, you know, sitting on the couch watching some football. Sounds a little bit better than maybe having to go to a community of people. It's certainly you easier. you got to be raw and vulnerable and give your life away. It's a lot easier. Yep. Temptation's real. I'm going to say a disclaimer because we're going to have a lot of uh, episodes here. I'm just going to be who I am, and uh, if I talk about football a lot, hopefully you'll just take me for who I am. <laughs> I can talk about football too. For those of you that don't know this, I'm going to do a little little brag on Stephanie's son because she wouldn't say it herself, but her son is a freak of nature. Wide receiver for the, uh, no, I was about to say Arizona Wildcats, Arkansas Razorbacks. Wow. You it almost rhymes. butchered that. I almost, almost did, but I didn't. The SEC is definitely better than the Pac-12. Well, the Pac-12 is well, not even going to exist anymore. <laughs> there is no Pac-12. There is no Pac-12. So, um, But yeah, I, I mean, to your point, Rod, I think 
all, all of us men can probably agree that it's a it'll, it's a lot easier i think generally speaking for women to seek that out than men to seek that out especially since vulnerability is not something that we as a culture value in men specifically but uh let's stay here real quick when we where we're talking about the family too how is biblical community also beneficial for your children uh to witness as you let's say if you have kids and you engage in biblical community how might that be beneficial for your children to see that well i would say it's been generational like mark and i when we got married community was one of the highest aims we had because of the model of his parents not the model of my parents and so the generations then i sure hope and pray that my children you know mark and i's children see the value of us being uh, immersed in community um it was community that also got us through the desert and our kids were old enough to see mom and dad go through the desert and they knew that there were people coming to our home into our lives um, in a deep and intimate way Uh, so when the going gets rough we go to community and i hope that that's something that has been instilled in my kids yeah one of the um with the four couples uh kimberly and i with the three others uh, back at college church we uh, yearly in the summer we would camp as families so uh, our friends each had four kids Kimberly and I uh, did not have kids but I was more camp director but those kids through 25 years had an opportunity to know like not just that their parents were friends but that this was a community and they lived into that during the difficult times during the joyous times so Actually having kids experience that with their parents and seeing the relationship their parents have with others, um, it, it is. It's a game changer. It's something that it impacts them, and, and it's, it's beautiful. So I'm Uncle Brian, Kimberly's Aunt Kimberly, and we are, we are there with those kids. And, in fact, I'm going to officiate the wedding of James DeLinardi, Tony, Tony D's son, in December 1st. So, yeah, it, it is. It's a joy that you can have those types of relationships and just invite invite the kids into that. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect example of just the fruit of biblical community, the fact that you are doing that. That's so awesome, Brian. I know for, for our daughters, uh, specifically our oldest, she would get so excited <laughs> on Sunday nights when uh, when we were back in, when we were down in Columbus before we moved um, back up to West Michigan, where Mallory's family is from, that uh, she would get so excited for her little little friends to come over. She'd always be like, "When's Eli coming over?" Eli was a little boy that was in her. I mean, I'm not, I was a little bit uncomfortable with her saying that, but <laughs> she's a little young. She'd be like, used when's, to it. When, yeah. <laughs> when's Eli coming over? It's too early. But because uh, she was so excited for us to have small group. Uh, for all the kids to come and get chucked down to the basement. <laughs> Parents just exhaled for a second because they got to do that. That's another thing. Here's just a real practical tip. Get a babysitter or two. If you have a group full of kids, you got 10, 12 kids, get a couple babysitters. Throw in some money into the pot. It's not going to be that much if you've got multiple families. And... <laughs> Have them have fun, and you guys actually get to engage um, in 
in the stuff that's being put forth. Um, so let's talk about that before we close. Uh, what are the practical things that are going on in the life of um, Crossroads this fall? What's available to them? Everything from the stuff that you're doing. Matt Kenny is not with us this morning, but he's their uh, pastor of family ministries. And he's got a bunch of things. So if you know of those, you can talk to him. But everything from marriage ministry stuff, stuff that I know you're overseeing, Karen Council, to community life. What are some things uh, specifically uh, that they can get involved in? And then give us practical on-ramps. How do they actually get involved? Yeah, I can speak to marriage. Um, we have we just started a young marrieds group two years ago, and um, we are transitioning to a little bit of a different schedule this fall. We have a large group uh, the first Wednesday of every month um, for young marrieds, and then we are doing small group or house churches on the second and the fourth. So couples can get involved one time a month, twice a month, three times a month. Lots of options. Um, we just really think that that stage and season of life is a difficult one to transition into community um, because you've got the dynamic of husbands coming in with his friends, wife's coming in with her friends. Who are our couple friends? How do we get involved in a church? And it's a transitional period that we really want to invest in as a church. So that's why we have a young marrieds group. And then um in February, we have a our marriage retreat at Gull Lake. It's the second weekend of February, and we really in, do intentional things to try to create uh, opportunity for community. So it's not just the head knowledge. It's not just the in, investment in your marriage. It's also in the investment in building relationships with other couples at Crossroads. And we just know that families are busy and doing um, something that is more on a monthly or a couple times a month doesn't always work for families. And so we think that the retreat is a really good opportunity for couples to put that time aside to get out of Dodge and to invest in community and invest in their marriage. Practically, how so can they just go on the website and find? Yep, go that? on the okay. website or send an email to marriage at crossroads-bible.org. Great. Those retreats are awesome. Rod, I know you always say as far as the Israel stuff goes, it's, it, you always use the line, it's an excuse. Um, and, and there's pickleball there yeah. at Gull Lake. I love it. Pickleball Oh, and we're doing marriage pickleball on the third Monday of every month. So We got to get that going. Sign up. You and Lib, sign up. I would up. love for an all-church pickleball tournament. <laughs> love to plan that. Well, we could go, you know, once the weather warms up again, we could go over across the street. Yes. I think Belknap's got like 25 courts, brand new courts that they just put in. That might be true working out community if oh we're on a pickleball gosh. court. <laughs> I mean, it's true for our family and Mark and I. We get in arguments. We hit each other with the ball. It's it's uh, yeah. everything. Nothing it's like beautiful. getting those competitive juices going. But uh, before you go, Brian, just can you speak of that too? Like how the value of retreats or trips? Because you always like to say that, especially with Israel, that it's an excuse, right? That being in those scenarios where you have prolonged periods of time together can actually catalyze community in a much quicker time than you would spending an hour a week together for months. Yeah, I would say the reason we do Israel is the same reason we do everything at Crossroads. Even Sunday morning gathering is an excuse for people to get to know each other and to get locked arm in arm for the simple reason, the biblical reason that the Christ in us, and it's not Christ in you individually. Christ lives in us. 
we collectively are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to experience God, you can't do that in isolation. God lives in his temple, and his temple is his people. Love it. Brian? Yeah, there are um, three different on-ramps to come into and have opportunity for community. Um, the least amount of commitment, because we, we want people to have that, that initial experience, are through family meals. Go on the website right now. We're, we're having them through the rest of September, beginning October. You can find out where the host families are within Grand Rapids. You sign up. You go. And again, they're, Kimberly and I have loved them. They're just a great experience. Um, so that's, a, that's one on-ramp. The other one is short circles, which go five weeks. So it's a small group that's more intentional in that way. Having a meal together, getting in the Word and, and prayer. Uh, we're using the Israel curriculum, which goes off of some of what Rod is teaching and just an opportunity to, um, I think people are going to love it. We, we're excited about that. Um, and then the other one yeah, is our house churches, which are small groups, longer term commitment. Uh, one of the things we do in October and in February, we have what are called house church orientations. It's two weeks long. The first week we give the why and you let us know more about you. What kind of house church would you be interested in? Usually there's 40 to 50 people that'll come. The last time we, dev- uh, we created four new house churches with people that wanted the new house churches, put them together, uh, asked leaders to come forward. If you wanted to do this, we're, we'll resource you. And then the other 10 people had an opportunity to go into existing house churches that were open to having new people come in. So we, uh, Jen Schmidt is my, my colleague. We really do the, the best that we can to say, if you, if you step forward, we'll come alongside you and provide that opportunity. And then uh, Matt Kenny is men's ministry pastor, just throwing a few things. He has retelling, retelling retreats, which happen twice a year. In fact, I'm going we have one uh, tomorrow, uh, Thursday through Sunday, and you can see more about that on the website. But base, it is it is asking guys to go into the uncomfortable, to enter into biblical community, and to talk about their story and how that can be different and much more aligned with who, who Christ is. All right. Well, I am so blessed and just full of gratitude to be sitting here with you three this morning. It's just such a gift to be here such a gift to be on uh on the same team with you this is the locker room we are the locker room uh church and that means that uh it's going to take a little blood sweat and tears in the words of rod to actually live out this thing that is biblical community uh we believe in you um hopefully you believe in us and we can do this thing as um as a team and not as a bunch of individuals and Let's uh, let me just encourage you if you're listening to this and you haven't jumped into those waters that you're not alone. There's many uh, that haven't, and there's always a first time for everyone. And I remember the first time I jumped into those waters too. And uh, uh, so be patient with yourself, be gentle with yourself, and uh, just challenge you to be committed to it and get in those waters. And you will be blessed. And that's not my words. That's a biblical uh, promise that you will be blessed by jumping into those uh, communities. Steph, you, wanna, you want the last word? 
No, I just so appreciate being here. Um, I think this podcast is an amazing opportunity for our people to get just deeply rooted in the practical. Um, our, our pastors do a phenomenal job on Sunday mornings, um, getting us to open the word and just starting to scratch the surface of the practical. And I think this podcast is really going to push it deeper for our people. So thank you, Trig, for inviting us. Love it. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you next week as we talk about mission. Um, but thanks guys. Thank you. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.